This is the Bob McCowan Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Richard Deitch is with me, uh, filling in for uh, John Shannon. You're okay, Deitch? Yeah, just a little neck uh, neck massage for myself. I'm good now. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a little basketball talk. Uh, there has been more talk about the Raptors' trade possibilities in the last couple of weeks than there has been almost in any season. I know that, uh, that I've watched the Toronto Raptors, and does that mean that there, where there's smoke, there's fire? Not necessarily, but we're going to talk about exactly that. Are the Raptors likely to make any kind of move? What kind of move, if they do? Uh, or are they more likely to wait until the offseason to do something, if anything? Doug Smith is uh, of the Toronto Star is with the Raptors on their West Coast trip. He's in San Francisco, and he will join us in just a moment. Stick around. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. We are back. Uh, it's McCown and Deitch with you. Uh, Doug Smith. Uh, the Toronto Star joins us from, uh, well, they play Golden State tonight, so he's in the San Francisco area. Um, I'm trying to think back. It's been a long time since the Raptors came into existence. I don't think we've had the kind of discussion that is taking place right now at any point during the Raptors' history, contemplation before, before the trade deadline as to what the Raptors, if anything, will do. Yeah, there, cert- have we, Doug? There hasn't been a, a time when they've had so many options to deal important players. Right. It's always been sort of, you know, nickel and diamond, playing around the edges on the periphery. Maybe they add a guy, maybe they move one guy, but there are so many options available to Zion Bobby Webster that, yeah, this is like, this is the first time ever, really. Yeah. Uh, there's a sense that Masai is not inclined to make deals at the deadline. And I assume he is, uh, you know, rather than Bobby is, is in command of that or that he has that decision. Do you agree? Yeah, it's been not his uh, his modus operandi for his entire career. He waited, man, he waited more than a year to move Carmelo Anthony out of Denver. The only time he did anything in Toronto was he added Marc Gasol for Valanciunas in the, the championship year because that was like the one piece. So yeah. it goes against his history to think he's going to do something big and bold or many things in the next 10 days. You know, the one thing, uh, Doug and Bob, that's, really interesting to me for this team um and it's it's a big problem for the front office and i know doug you've written about this and you know this they're not they're not so bad where it makes it easy to tank and to dump a number of players but the potential and prospect if they play their best still is probably a little less than winning an nba championship so you're in that impossible position of do you moderately blow it up? Do you maximally blow it up? Or do you roll the dice and think that this group can play like they did against Sacramento or, you know, like play like they've done in a couple of quarters? I know we're not supposed to feel bad for front offices and our jobs, but I actually do feel bad for this front office because I don't think there's an easy solution. Every potential, do you redug every potential place they go? has a potential like drawback. Yeah, there's a they can't get bad enough. It's it, it's hard to get bad. Exactly. It, it really takes some maneuvering to get bad enough to be in that one, two, three, four pick area. And they can't do that this year. They can't also get to championship contention this year, I don't think. So I what Mazai tends to do would be to wait until June when the, the pool of trade partners grows, deepens. And you look for a Kawhi Leonard or somebody of that ilk. 
and then you do something bold around the draft and free agency. The other thing I wanted to ask uh, Doug, Bob, is that how much do you think, Doug, because this draft is really strong and there's one guy who clearly, unless something happens, is a generational talent um, in the guy, you know, from France. Scoot Henderson looks like he's going to be obviously a, a franchise type of player. I wonder if, and I, can, and I can understand it, I wonder if this year it it's a little, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like you see the pro if you got bad enough or if you got lucky in the lottery, you could change the fortunes of your franchise dramatically. So it does make it, there is incentive to really go for that lottery pick. But like you said, the problem for the Raptors is they're not the Rockets. Like you can right. only get so bad. And they're not Charlotte and they're not Detroit. And you know, they're, they're not, they're not San Antonio. They can't get bad enough in 33 games to be in those four teams with a 14% pick. And to leave your luck to moving up from eight to one, that's a, that's not a tenable thing. That's not, that's, that, that's going to cost you in the end. You can't win. You can't do it that way. So I, I don't think Mazai is going to do very much, frankly. I don't think there is, there certainly aren't two bold moves. I think he'll wait and he'll do whatever, whatever he wants to do around the draft in July when you could do two or three different moves and change the face of the franchise entirely. Mm. Uh, several days ago, I uh, made mention on this program that I had a conversation with uh, an NBA insider, um, an agent, to be honest, who informed me that Ananobi uh, wants out, that he'd like, he'd like to be someplace else. I don't know much more than that, and I'm not speculating as to what that means but that's out there now and what we've seen of late is a lot of talk surrounding Ananobi and it is said that a team probably New Orleans has offered three first rounders for an Ananobi number one do you think that's likely and number two remembering that New Orleans is a pretty good team you know those first rounders are going to be 20 something in the draft you know they're not high first rounders are are you better off to wait? You, you probably are. I don't like New Orleans has a lot of other teams' picks too, so they they got they could move. Yeah. I think they got some Lakers picks for the yes, they Ingram. They might have Clipper picks. I'm, they got other picks out there, but three first round picks. You're if you're a first round player, you're probably two years from having an impact. So if you get picks in 27, 29, 31, the thirty one guy is not going to be good till thirty three, right? So. I, I'm not I'm not big on picks personally, because picks are net they're 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 guesswork. Yeah. I want players now. Ananobi's contentment with his role in Toronto has been a, a subject of discussion since last summer. Of course, he would like more shots, but he would like to have more shots and be a better player if he could. If they would give him more shots, if he didn't go in the paint and fall down a lot. I think he's really good at what he does. He might be their most deadline marketable guy. Contract is relatively good. Uh, under contract for this year and next at 18. Um, can bring back a good return. If he's willing to. The thing is, the team trading for him would want him to do exactly what he's doing in Toronto. Guard and make three-pointers. And if he's not happy doing that in Toronto, why is he going to be happy doing that somewhere else? I guess. Doug, you've, uh, I'm sorry, Bob. Doug, you've been, uh, you've been around this team, obviously, the whole year. Um one of the best things about this franchise has been culture. Um, th there's a very strong culture. Historically, they play great defense, and that's kept them in games. It has, that necessarily has not happened this year. But you've covered the NBA a long time, so you know this. Like when when teams start to lose, like people start to start questioning their places on a team. You start to hear chatter, et cetera. You know, I know the players are only going to say so much, but from your informed analysis, like, where do you think this group is? It doesn't feel like they've broken yet because I saw the Kings game. Like, you're, you're, you you haven't packed it in if you play that hard on defense. At the same time, these guys are all smart. They're realistic. They know where they are in the standings. So, you know, where are they right now just in terms of, like, um, how they feel about big picture stuff? It's funny because this group certainly is not – as good as the sum of its parts. And there's no question about it. There's, there's a lot of talent that hasn't played well. And I don't know, like teams to me are like these weird living organisms. And this team for a bunch of time didn't seem to work. 
didn't get along. And I don't think I don't think it's anybody's fault. I think the personalities were weird. I think the you know you have the last year's rookie of the year who had who had early in the season a big sense of entitlement, a false sense of entitlement, mind you, but he had that. So he had to, they had to work through that. But I do think the injuries in the year disjointed them enough that they became less trustful each other of each other. You know, they had to play Christian Coloco because they didn't have anybody else to play with a chew or hurt and Boucher coming off the bench. And that that cost them because he wasn't ready. And everybody knew it, but what else are you going to do? So I think this team as a team didn't work often enough. Sacramento game would work great, whether it'll work tonight or tomorrow in Portland or the rest of the strip, who knows? And that's been the the weirdness about this collection of people. It just doesn't seem to mesh enough. But what does that mean to Masai? Does that mean that he is is going to take his time and look and yeah, try I, and figure out what he's got? I think another thirty three games will give him a bigger, bigger, a, a more clear picture of what he's got and who not who gets along with everybody because you don't want them sitting around seeing kumbaya and holding hands. That doesn't that's not realistic. But are they professional enough to work through their personality differences? And you need a little. I think you need a little bit more time, and then you decide. Okay. If I take this guy out, the collective the collective becomes bigger, better. If I take this guy out, it becomes worse. And I don't think he knows which guy which guy takes him which way yet. Do you you know? I mean, this inevitably happens. Like I, you know, even on social media and sort of the Raptors fans, you know, you're going to start to get Masai criticism and et cetera. I, I just always, uh, you know, this is why I'd never really be a good hot take artist. I think yeah, I always have to sort of step back and and look at things longitudinally and don't you know like be realistic about sort of uh, it's not like Masai Ujiri all of a sudden in one day has become a bad executive. Sometimes right, yeah. moves don't work. Sometimes they do. That said, and this is an interesting one, because this is a conversation that all the NBA um, wonks like yourself, Doug, have had. And that's the, what do you think now after at least a short sample size of the, this experiment of all these six, seven to six, nine guys who are long, who are three and D guys and not having like a traditional uh, dude in the middle, you know, uh, Evan Mobley or whoever that, you know, Aiton, like whoever that is. Cause that was the Raptors were not only playing for themselves this year, but I think in some ways they were trying to see if this, if a philosophy of basketball could work. And I would say so far, the judgment on that is it cannot win a championship, but how do you see it? I think it's interesting, Richard. I think, they they did set the bar when they started this a year and a half ago. The league has changed with them. When they first did it, they were the only team doing it. Now everybody's doing it, or a lot of teams are doing it, switching everything one through five. Everybody's the same size. Everybody's big and athletic and long and skinny. And now the Raptors don't sneak up on teams anymore because if you come in to play the Raptors and they're playing that way, well, two nights earlier, you played the same kind of team somewhere else. Yeah. And I think that – for they caught people by surprise for a long time and they were really good at it. I think the rest of the league went, yeah, okay, we'll do that too. And they got some maybe some better players. Maybe they just it works a little bit better this year. And the Raptors they need to push the envelope further some way or or in a different direction some way because the league has caught up to them now. Do you believe that the Raptors have as I do, I think they have they have good players, just collectively they don't play well together. Yeah, there's just something off, and I don't know if it's yeah. if it's trust, if it's a lot of guys in and out of the rotation, in and out of the lineup. They don't have a traditional backup point guard still. They don't have enough shooting, and we talked about this, Bob, since yeah, I was I on in September. They haven't had yeah. enough shooting all season. That was always going to be an issue, and when four guys went in un- to uncharacteristic shooting slumps, it killed them. Yeah. Now they're out of the slumps and they're winning more than they're losing. So th- there are flaws in the roster. The team doesn't, it was never built to win a championship this year. And I remember Bobby and Mazai telling us early, we don't, we're not sure what we got. We're going to find out. Well, yeah. sometimes you find out bad. You don't always find out good. So I think they're finding out, okay, this, this mix, this, this group of skill doesn't quite, advance the envelope let's go find something else somewhere else the the but, other thing too and um 
again, I, 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 the first to admit, I don't have the solution on this, but you know, Nick Nurse is paid to win games, right? And so because he's paid to win games, he has to play the players that he trusts um, to win these games. What inevitably happens, Doug, and you know, know this, is he's playing certain guys so many minutes that inevitably they're going to break down. We've seen this with Fred. Pascal has been incredible. He's held up yeah. like marvelously. I mean, the guy, you can't say enough about that guy. He's, he is my favorite player in the league. I've said this on Sportsnet. I'll say this now. Um, I, I'm really glad to see him successful. But they have a problem to me in that if Nick only trusts a certain amount of players and he, he has to grind people 40, 41, 42 minutes, like these guys are not robots. Like that will show up at the end of the year. But if I'm Nick Nurse, I also get it. Like if you don't play Scotty Barnes 42 minutes or Fred Van Vliet 43 minutes, you're probably not winning. So what do you do? That That's a, a very essential question to where this team goes because Nick isn't trustworthy enough of his backups. I think to the detriment of the team because he's got to – he should – if you're going to lose the game playing guys 42 minutes, you may as well lose the, guy, the game playing a guy 34 minutes and let Great the point. other guys – let the other guys play 10, 12, 14, and see what they can do over an extended period of time. And I, that, and I, the perfect example to me is you saw Watanabe. And yes, he was hurt last year a lot, but at no time did he get like a 10 game stretch of 20 minutes a night. And if he had, maybe he would have been a good player. Look and at him on the Nets. He's yeah, an he's, effective he's, he's player. Great. He's been great with the Nets because he's going to play those minutes every night and he knows it. And Nick sort of jumps between. Yeah, you know, we haven't seen Malachi Flynn in two weeks, but we saw him a lot before that. Delano Benton's been hurt, but we haven't seen him in a in hundred years. And we saw Thad Young. They dusted off Thad Young the other day for the first time in like four days, four or five games. So and Thad Young was playing every night for a while. For a while. Yeah, right. I think I think Nick's issue, Richard, you're right. He 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 coaches to win that night, and he gets caught up in the moment of the game. And I think he's got to take a bigger, should have taken a bigger picture look outlook at this from November on. And this find is where out to me what they got. Yeah, obviously I'm not there. But this is where to me, like if if there were assistants on the bench that he that he really sort of combines and entrusts, and maybe he does, like that's where you wish another voice would even sort of chart out for Nick, like, listen, like we we have to at least see what we have with player X and let player X get 14, 17 minutes a game. I know he's been hurt at many different times, but like I as someone who has watched almost every Raptors game, like the last couple of years, I still don't know how Nick Nurse feels about Chris Boucher. Like on some nights, I'm like, I think he loves him. He trusts them. And then on other nights, I feel like he, he might as well be the 13th guy on the roster. Like I, this is where Nick sometimes can, in my opinion, can be a frustrating coach, even though I think he's an excellent coach, is that you don't know many times what he feels about a player. And this isn't just like, over the course of a, a week, Doug, this like is like the course of multiple years. Yeah, it is. And the funny thing that our good friend Mike Grange and I were talking about this the other night, when Nick was an assistant with Casey, he advocated for playing five backups. <laughs> that bench mob was his. Yeah. Fred, Miles, Pascal, OG, uh, Norm Powell. That was that was his. He he advocated to run those guys up there. And now as the head coach, he doesn't do it. So and I get that that team, those five guys are really, really good. They turned out to be all NBA guys and NBA champions, but he's not given this any of these guys enough leash to find out exactly what they are. Like I still don't know. I'm not entirely sure Malachi Flynn's a 24 minute a night NBA player, but I'm pretty sure he's a 14 minute a night NBA player. Yeah. But well, I don't I don't know that, but I think that in the brief glimpses of five game stretches where he plays a lot. Look, you want you want your team to be competitive, championship competitive right away. That's the objective. Is this team capable? Could you through trades make this team uh championship competitive uh with a couple of deals? Not this year, but I think next year you could be. I don't I don't I think this team's got a lot of skill and they're they're not that far away. Like it, it did it, this, this is gonna sound odd. The loss of Precious Achua for twenty four games was crushing because he didn't get any better. They had to play a rookie and that, that cost them a lot of games in that stretch. Yeah. He's a very intriguing player. He'd been he great is. in the last four or five games. Yeah. So you, you put him in the mix, you do something in the summer. Cause I don't think, I don't know what, you know, Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. 
both go into option years, can opt out of their contracts, and most likely will. Do you bring? I don't know if we, can you bring them both back? But if you let Fred Van Vliet go, who's your point guard next year? Because I don't. That's right. That's I don't right. know. That, I don't know that Scotty Barnes is. I don't personally think he is. I mean, you can do it a little bit, but for eighty-two games as the guy, I'm not sure yet. And not if Doug, you got your team to be really good. From what Doug? From what? Let, let's let's eliminate like Giannis, Kevin Durant, um, Jason Tatum. Let's eliminate people that you have no chance of getting. Okay. Realistically, if I could, if I could grant you a single player to acquire that you think would sort of fix multiple problems on this team, who would it be? Given, I t- I'm going to throw this name out there because it's a weird one. Given the contract situations, where the franchise is, Chris Paul would be an intriguing ad. Hmm. He's got one year left. It's, it's full, or one year, one year and a half guaranteed left next year. And then no guarantee on the last year of his deal. So he might be a bridge guy. And he's a leader. He's been a winner. I think he's a still good player. I, you know, I watched him last night. He looked really, really good in the game against Dallas. So he's an intriguing, intriguing bit. I, I said this to somebody the other day that I think mean, this team needs the this team needs to add the Charles Oakley that the Vince Carter Raptors added. An old head. A guy who's gonna slap somebody in the face if they don't do the, the right thing. And uh, they don't have that. And I think, I don't know that Chris Paul is that, but I think he's a very intriguing bit to look at. Do you think he's available? Oh, I think I think Phoenix is right. Phoenix is in the same weird place Toronto is. Yeah. And they're good, but they're not great. They're okay, but they're, you know, they were in the finals, but two years ago. But they're they're stuck in that Western middle. And then they might be looking at, you know, I think Fred Van Vliet and Phoenix would look great. So maybe there's something to do there in June. Maybe there's something to do there 10 days from now, but I think it's more likely a June thing. You think, um, you know, there's there's been a lot written on, um, on like, potentially who could go and and who who might go or whether it's realistic or not. Eric Corrine, who works with me at The Athletic, has really written some interesting pieces just on, like, you know, like trade kind of tiers and what might be likely and what might not be. Um, I think you'd be insane at this point to trade Pascal Siakam personally, yes, but yes. I mean, obviously there'd be interest, although the contract's big, but what really fundamentally has to be asked by the Raptors organization, and you'd be a great guy to ask it just because you observe it is, do you think Pascal and Scotty like fit? Do they, can they fit as a twosome? And then obviously if they can, then you work around those two guys because they are uniquely skilled at what they do. I think they can, but I think it's going to be on Barnes to adapt. I think Pascal is smart enough and adaptable enough that he will subtly change his game if he has to. But I think Scotty Barnes is an intriguing guy to me. Immensely skilled. He might be a might be a 10-time All-Star, or he might just be a guy. Hmm. I don't know yet. He's, he's unbelievably good, and then unbelievably takes nights off. And I, I think he needs to change his attitude his 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 work ethic and his coachability. He's got to be a guy. He, he doesn't like I said early in the year. There was a sense of players are telling me there's a sense of entitlement to the guy. Like they've been smoke up his butt for a year, so you can't let him get away with that. And I, I think somebody must have got to him, people around him, people in the organization, because he's been brilliant the last ten days. Last last but 10 that was. Together. Again, I mean, this is interesting because I haven't heard much of this, but like, doesn't that counter to like what everybody sort of said about him yeah. out of school? And like, the thing about him is that he, Jim Rat, first at the gym kind of guy, right? Loves to play. He's certainly unselfish with the ball. I mean, that's very clear. So this, I don't know, maybe some of it is you're 20 years old and and everybody's telling you that you're the greatest thing since Michael Jordan. I think that's got a lot to do with it. I think last year the game came easy to him, and the game is not easy. And all of a sudden this year, people are paying attention to him. Like no one's yeah. no one's up guarding him close. They're laying off and letting him shoot. Last year they they were getting up on him. He was blowing by him because that that's what he does. So I think his his game has to make subtle changes to it, and he hasn't yet. What do you, what does he have to do? Because one of the things that I see on a regular basis is got to get the ball at uh, at at the free throw line. So he's got a fifteen footer wide open. And he doesn't even look to shoot. He looks to be, pass. He's got to be more assertive with the shot. He has to get in the gym every day and shoot a thousand jump shots. 
Yeah. So the jump shot is still not there. That, that's the bottom line. And I don't know. I don't know how much time he spent on that last summer. I'm told not a ton, but he's got to get in the gym every day this summer and shoot 5,000 jump shots and, and yeah. work that out. He also has to become a little bit more selfish. He's got to go up and down the court instead of side to side. Like you watch him get the ball in the wing and sometimes just dribbles right across the floor. Yeah. Make the left-hand turn and go to the basket. And when he does that, he's dominant. Yeah. But I think he's, he is, he's 21 years old. It's his second year. The skill set says he's going to be a multi-time all-star. But we've seen a lot. The, the, the woods are littered with carcasses of great athletes who never became great basketball players. And I yeah. think he can get that way. He can get to that point, but he's got to do it. See, to me, I think, and we'll see obviously what happens as we head forward, but I think they found something in the last two games. And to me, what they found is the offense should run through him. I, I get that um, – Siakam is the more sure thing in terms of when you need a basket and certainly against Sacramento, he really could do what he wants. But I think in order for you to ultimately get to where you hope to be, the more that Scotty can be the facilitator, the more the ball can be in his hands, particularly in big moments. I think the more that his development um, quickens. And the other thing, Doug, like you said, is that will make you more selfish. I just think, and that's a good thing. Like, I think like ball in his hands under a minute tight game, like, he has to go through those situations like every superstar has gone through so that he figures out like what to do. To me, that's the the roadmap. But the 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 tricky thing with the roadmap is he's 21 and you got veterans on the team and you got all-stars, and that's that's right. hard, I think, to, you know, if you're Pascal, I get it. You're putting up 28 and 10, and like I'm an I'm an all-NBA player. Like I should be the alpha. So that's yeah. what's tricky here, is that. I think in order for them to have their best possible team, Scotty Barnes has to be the alpha, but they also have other guys, obviously, who are used to being the alpha. Yeah, they do. And I don't know whether Scotty could be the beta guy. And I, I agree that I don't think he needs to bring the ball to court and call every play, yes. but I do think he needs Great. to facilitate more offense. And I think that's where he's best because he, he can pick defenses apart with his passes or he can get in into the restricted area and dunk on people. But he's got to do that and he's got to – He's got to do it selfishly, and he's got to do it with teammates who accept him doing that. And if they win, they will accept it. But I agree. Me, he's got to do it. And he hasn't yep. done it constantly enough this year. And like he's going to be, like I said, he's going to be a great player, but he's not a great player right now. He's a very, very good young player who's got a lot of ways to grow. And he's got to guard better. Like it, if you if you watch it on TV, watch a possession, there are some where he's just – Blah blah blah. I'm just looking around, see what's going on. But that again, that's youth, and I think he'll get through that. But well, I think, and until he does, you can't say he will. Yeah. Listen, we got to take a break. We're uh, halfway through. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star is with us. Back after this. You know, as we discuss trades for the Toronto Raptors a couple of weeks before the trade deadline, you know the. You think back to other deals, and of course it was off season. But the Kawhi Leonard deal is a deal that certainly people look at and point at point to as a deal that essentially brought this city an NBA championship. Except what you have to remember is the Raptors made a bunch of deals. It wasn't just Kawhi Leonard. You know, Gasol was an uh, an intriguing uh, part of that. I mean, they had three or four guys that they'd brought in brought in who started for this team. This team changed dramatically. Um, is it possible to make one deal and change the fortunes of this franchise right now? I'm not sure it is. Not not for this year, no. I, I think there are multi-tiered deals to have to be done between now and next September for them to be in that group of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Boston. And, you know, they're not there yet. They're not close to that year there yet. But I think they're not far off from there yet. And but I do think it's going to take more than one trade, or more than one move. Right, Mazai's got to hit on whatever the mid-level exception guy gets in the summer. He's got to hit on him, which which he hasn't in quite a while. But yeah, that that, that championship here, it was started with moving Rudy Gay to Sacramento, busting up that great uh, Gay DeRozan Lowry group. Then yeah. they moved Demar for Kawhi. Then they moved, you know, Jonas was a big loss. He's, he's looking at him now. He's playing great. And uh, 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 Wright's playing great in, in Washington. 
but they moved them because they had to get Gasol. He was the last pick. Yeah, they thought, and it would you know I won a championship, and no one's gonna say he shouldn't have done it because everybody's gonna remember the damn parade as they should. Exactly, because you might never ever ever have another one. So you got to be, you can't say oh they should Morgan Jonas we should have kept him. No, you got to You got to You get a title, you're in the elite, and that's what people remember. You know, we were talking about Ananobi. That was the focus of our conversation at the beginning of this discussion. But, you know, Ananobi is a guy who I think thinks he should have the ball a little more in the offensive end. He he should be able to score points. But if you look at it, I mean, this is an offense that has to go through Siakam. We want a bunch of other guys. Everybody has a role in this thing. Uh, Van Vliet's going to have, you know, he wants the ball in his hands. He wants to be a three-point shooter. You got another three point, another guy who's who's who will shoot. He he rarely passes, just wants to shoot the ball all the time. Where is there an opportunity for Ananobi to step up his game and become a more integral part of the of the offense? I don't I think, think there he, is. I mean, he's got to take it when he gets the ball in the corner. He can't shoot the three. He's got to drive it, and that's up to him. But I think that's what that's what his job is. That's what his job is going to be in the NBA. But as I said, wherever he goes, they're going to want him to be a guy who makes the corner three and guards everybody well. And that's he's going to make a, a ton of money and play for a long time if you do that well. So yeah. we, I think he's got to reconcile that in his own head that that's what he does. Like, like Gary Trent is going to shoot. Like I had a guy jokingly say to the guy, say to me, Gary Trent, God didn't give him those hands to pass. He gets the ball. Well, and, and there's some truth in that. You know, look yeah, at the yeah. Guy. and that's fine. He's Gary he's Trent a great can shoot. Score. He's a great score. It's what he does. Yeah. I still think you should come off the bench and do it, but that's. That's a yeah, Nick Nurse Smith discussion. Um, but that OG has to either be more assertive or reconcile the fact that this is what I do. This is what teams are going to pay me a lot of money to do. And I'm going to be on very, very good teams for a very, very long time. Doug, what? how do you uh, sort of evaluate what Fred brings to the franchise in terms of culture setting, in terms of leadership? versus like what his true value is in terms of a player on the court. He doesn't he doesn't let people he doesn't let teammates get away with crap. And I think that's hugely important because he's the only guy, well I think Thad Young probably does it a little bit, but Thad doesn't have the cachet of playing a lot and doesn't have the seven years in, in Toronto and the championship pedigree with the Raptors. Fred Fred holds guys accountable very privately, very quietly, and we don't hear about it, but you can see him in the game when he's on the bench even or when he's pulling guys aside during play he's giving them crap and i think that's the the probably more valuable than the fact he's become now back he's back to 38 percent three-point shooting but that that's irreplaceable and i don't yeah. know who the next guy to do that in toronto is because i'm not sure one guy can do it coming in the first year and that's going to be an issue when you look back, I think on just like what teams have paid for certain players, right? And you see like sort of the mistakes that were made, even in like, you know, mid-tier kind of guys. This is where I would lean towards paying Fred, because I think like if nothing else, you're going to get what you just talked about. And, uh, you know, as much as I liked in theory, the Otto Porter signing, that's like money down the drain. So like there's always money sort of around, like that's sort of yeah. my thinking on it and so i i would i i, I would re-up fred or figure out a made a way to make that work i think he obviously has been very clear that he loves it in toronto he he considers himself part of the foundation and even if he might get paid a little bit more than what his sort of abilities are that to me is worth the investment i don't know what this franchise will do but that's how i look at fred i think there's you know, we don't often talk about this in sports, but I think there should be a little bit of an extra premium for a guy who brings people together. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more, Richard. And I think he's the guy on this team. An outsider isn't going to be able to do it because they don't have his history. They don't have his personality, it's the strength of will that he has, or the respect of the guys around him. Yeah. Like everybody in the locker room listens to Fred because look what he is. He's an NBA champion. He's been a he's been an all star. He's he's. He's Fred, for God's sakes. He's the guy who leads the team. They all listen to him. And if you take that voice out, I don't know who replaces it. And then then it gets – then there's a lot of selfishness maybe creeps in. I don't think Fred lets guys get too selfish. 
But if you don't have that strong guy at the top, then I think you you got to get you might have some problems. One of the pieces of news we got was that Freddie apparently fired his agent. What do you make of that? Is uh, couldn't that be a significant thing? I think it's more a summer thing than a thing right now. And, and I, his agency was pretty small. I think there'll be you know there are a, a lot of big time agents are going to come looking for Fred Van Vliet now because he's going to get a big 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 time contract, and maybe he just realize he wants to get. Better representation from a from a more profile guy. I, I we haven't talked to him about it. I don't think he's he's not the kind of guy who's going to share with me and the guys what what he's really thinking. Yeah. But I was I was a little bit surprised because I thought he was like the guy who sort of steered that entire agency. And now I'm just wondering whether it's going to be one of a guy at Clutch Sports or something like that. Um, but I don't think it's a significant thing vis a vis his contract negotiation because he's going to get what he's going to get. But are the Raptors prepared to give him thirty plus million? Uh, I'm not sure they'll go to 30, maybe, maybe 28, 30. I don't think Fred... What's he at now, about 24? Uh, if that, I'm not sure. But the benchmark, I think, for him was when we were in Edmonton last year at the preseason game, and Tyler Hero signed, what, four years, 120? And I remember a guy saying to me, Tyler Hero got four 120, and he doesn't start or defend. What's Fred going to get? Yeah. Now, it's, that's... It, it, it's just, I was going to say, it's just, it's crazy now. Like, you can't think of it like 10 years ago. Think, oh no, my God, no. it's not a $30 million play because the whole world's changed on this stuff. Of course. And it's going to get even worse when, the, well, not worse if, if you're a player, when the new TV deal comes in and there's like billions and billions and billions more of money going into the pot to pay players. Right. And if you're doing a four year contract right now, that fourth year is going to be with the well, Richard, I don't know what the number is going to be. How many billions of dollars Turner and ESPN and whoever or, else, or it, could, or it could be a whoever. streamer like yeah. Amazon gets in, and then it really could get crazy numbers. Exactly. So that's going to go into the coffers to boost the cap. So all of a sudden, a fifty million dollar contract isn't arduous. Yeah, but you got to pay these guys that because you got to spend the money that's in the fifty. But you can only pay so many guys so much. True. True, right? but unless you're willing to be Golden State and pay hundred million dollars in tax every year. Yeah, exactly. Like the Raptors could do everybody for for perpetuity if yeah. the sports want to pay whatever the luxury tax number is. So but you don't think it. money is an issue for them? I think it's an issue at the very, very, very top. But I think you know you're the one the championship. They paid the tax, so they're willing yeah. to do it in on in special situations that they see have the ultimate reward. I don't think they see that with this group, so probably not. But if another guy comes in that is the piece, they've proven they will. So I think they would do it again. I don't know who yeah. that guy is or whether it's two years from now or three years from now or next year, but they have shown the the willingness to spend whatever it takes to do the one thing that makes them championship-level contenders. I agree, but think about it. I mean, Siakam already makes 20-plus. Van Vliet already makes 20-plus. Um, you know, they've got a team full of guys that are going to make 20-plus. At some point, you have to make a decision. You know, are we going to bring in a superstar who makes 40-plus? And if we do oh, yeah. that, do we have – does everybody else make 20? Yeah, you I, do, yeah. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's, the, 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 that's, the, that's the, the money question. You're going to, you can't pay them all. You don't think you can pay them all. And you, you probably don't want to pay them all because, you need. I think, on teams, you need a packing order. I, I really sure. do. I think you do need something like that. So – until you find out who these people are, what the actual number is, you can't you can't make generalizations because it's weird that way. Because sometimes you got to pay three guys thirty and everybody else nine, but sometimes you can pay one guy one hundred and ten and a bunch of guys twenty five. Yeah, I get it. One of the intriguing things in my mind is you know you mentioned Trent already and Van Vliet are guys that essentially could walk at the end of this year. Imagine if that happens, if both of them go. Where is this team at that point? If Masai doesn't make a deal, if he doesn't bring in somebody in the interim, uh, I think that's got to be a key question, isn't it? You're, yeah, you're scrambling. Like, that's, you're absolutely yeah. scrambling. You, you, got, you could have a little bit of money to play with because their numbers are big enough, they'd be off the books. You'd have a little bit of wiggle room to, to bring people in. You'd have Barnes and Siakam and Anobi. But that would be all you'd have. And Chew, I, I'm putting Chew in the core group because I think they love him. I That's think fair. Really, 
and I think he's really good. Yeah. But you would need to go out and do something significant. Yeah. Whether you, the, the interesting thing to me is going to be in the summer is what are Van Bleet and Trent worth on the market as opposed to the Toronto market? Yeah. Like we saw this with Kyle when he went out a couple of times, Kyle Lowry. We all thought he was going to get huge offers from teams that had all kinds of cap space. Well, they didn't materialize. And I'm just wondering if Brad and Gary might find themselves in the same kind of spot. Now, I suspect more, so. There's more teams with money, but there's also a lot of bad teams with money. And I'm yeah. not sure that they want to – I don't think Fred Van Vliet wants to go and win 22 games a year in Detroit. I think right. Gary Trent would go and want to win 25 games in Houston if he got paid $30 million to do it. Yeah, sure. But I, I think when they get out on the market and they see who has what money to pay them how much – they might have second thoughts about, well, you know what? This Toronto thing is pretty damn good. We win every, we win a lot of games every year, basically. We got a great organization. Ownership's fine. Good city. Good fan base. We have the respect around the league because we've been champions and we've been in the playoffs basically every year for a decade. Maybe staying isn't a bad thing because the market isn't quite what we thought it might be. And maybe you do three years instead of four. Or two in an option instead of three in an option, but I could see that happening in in July. Doug, you think? Um, I mean, understanding that he, he's living in Miami, and obviously that's an incredibly great place to live. But if you were, if you had a conversation with Kyle Lowry today about sort of where he is now and where the Heat are now, how do you think he would feel in relation to being in Toronto at the same age? I, I think I, I know Kyle very well. I, I think he knew it was time to move. He had done everything to do in Toronto, and he had gotten he had gotten all his guys paid. You know, he got Freddie paid. He got Pascal paid. OG paid. He won a title. He leaves as the greatest Raptor of all time. He's living out his dotage in a wonderful city in a, a great organization, making thirty million dollars a year for a year after another year after this. Like he's got he's got a great contract, and I so I don't think the competitive part of Kyle probably doesn't like where he is. Because he doesn't play an awful lot in fourth quarter. He's getting a little bit older. The team's not championship caliber. But the the career basketball guy, Kyle Lowry, what a perfect Daniel Mall. And maybe next year at this time, we're talking about him going to the Lakers to be the piece to put him over the top. Yeah. To get one last good run at it as an expiring contract. Well, I got I a think, question. I think he's happy. I, I my, my the organization, the Heat organization, is a difficult one to play for because they're very demanding, and they're very, they're you talk about culture, their culture, and I'm not sure Kyle is. Kyle might be a bit too free spirited for it, and I don't think he realized what he was exactly getting into. But every 15th and 30th, when the check was in a bank, he goes, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> what do you think the Raptors would be if Lowry had stayed? What would they? Where would they be now? Put Kyle Lowry on this team. Okay. I think, I'm not sure that – I don't sure that Siakam would be as good as he is with Lowry on the team. Obviously, Barnes is, would, would not be a factor. Um, I think you know, Kyle and Fred probably had its run. I don't think yeah. he'd play – I don't think he'd play two small guards. Kyle certainly doesn't fit the, you know, 6'9", get deflection, switch everything, run around like crazy men, defensive schemes. They would have been stale. And I think they were getting stale at the end. And I think everybody knew it in the middle of the Tampa year. But okay, it was time for Kyle to go. The contract was up. He got it. He's done. Right. Look what he's done for us. Let him pick where he wants to go, and we'll facilitate it as best we can. And they did. They got him a lot of money. They got some pretty good players. They, they, that was that was a good deal for everybody. And I know that the Goran Dragic, Thad Young thing didn't work out quite as what you thought, but a chew up for Lowry alone at that point was probably good, and got Kyle thirty million a year, and got them a young big guy. So, I think I mean, he couldn't he couldn't have stayed, and I would have loved to for him to have stayed because he was good for us. But yeah. it, it was it was time it was time for him to go. Bob and our uh, I know we don't have much time left with Doug, so I, I want to no. make sure I, I don't forget the, this question. Uh, Doug, in May, the WNBA is yeah. coming to Toronto to play a, an exhibition game. It'll be the first WNBA game in in Canada. What's very clear, obviously, um, is that. Toronto's on the interest of the WNBA in terms of being a potential expansion franchise. I'm sure they're going to see how this game does and how it's received. And that'll be part of uh, 
of all the league's decision-making. Um, I've always believed this could be a great market for a WNBA franchise. Canada continues to produce better women's players. Um, there's a basketball culture now, like professionally, thanks to the Raptors. I think it could work. Obviously, it's going to need a lot of marketing. It has to have MLSC support and money. But I wanted to just get your perspective because May will be like sort of, if this ever does happen, like May's the beginning of this happening. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's a big deal. And it's a big proving point for women's basketball in Canada. I really think it is. I know that we uh, when we talked to the Kathy Engelbert when they made the announcement. One of the big deals, playing at Maple Leaf, playing at Scotiabank was a big deal. So they want to be able to play and fill a big building for this game. I don't think they can play at Scotiabank in the regular season because I think it's too big and the game might get lost in it. But for this one-off event, they got to sell that place out. And I think they will because I think there's a, a huge groundswell of women's basketball fans and interest. And the uniqueness of being the first is a big thing for Toronto people. But I, you're right, Richard. Like the Bay Area is a lock for teams. When yep. they I, I'm pretty sure. I would think they would might they might look again at they might look at Tennessee. They might look in Charlotte. They might look in St. Louis. Toronto's got some competition. For a long time, we thought, oh, the WNBA fans, of course, they're going to come to Toronto. Well, not really. It's up to the people to show that it will go in Toronto. And MLSE has to be involved. Whether they're the the hundred percent owners, I don't. I don't think they will be. I think it'll be kind of like a. Larry Tannenbaum Argos MLSE thing with somebody else other than Larry. But MLSE has to be has to be the marketer and the the, the voice behind it. I think yeah. I think the game in May it's shaping up to be fascinating because I, I love Chicago. I think Bridget Carlin playing at home would be a huge deal in Minnesota. It's a I think it's a big, big thing. And I'm sure it'll be hugely well received. And the WNBA will go, okay, all the stuff we've been hearing, we're now seeing and we're believing. And I think it'll leap Toronto up a list of expansion possibilities. Listen, we got to get out of here because we're really up against the clock. But in in a nutshell, you you suspect that the Raptors will probably do nothing before the trade deadline. Is I don't that think my... I don't think they'll do anything of, of huge significance. They okay. might do something on the periphery, but I don't think I think in, on on February tenth, the four guys Van Vliet, Trent, Siakam, Ananobi. I think they will all still be Raptors. Thank you, Dougie. Uh, Good luck with the rest of the road trip. I know it's a long one. Uh, I assume you're on it for the whole uh, ride uh, and uh, enjoy your time in San Francisco tonight. We thank always, you very much. Always fun, guys. Take care of yourselves. See you back home. That's Doug Thanks, Smith of the Toronto Star. We'll come back with more in a minute. Deitch McCowan back with you. Uh, our thanks again to Doug Smith for uh, being with us. Well, you had a chance to hear what he had to say. Where are you on this? Uh, do you think the Raptors will make a deal in the next two weeks? I mean, after listening to Doug, my thought would be no, uh, not anything big. I, the one thing, Bob, that I think is probably true for sure is I think a lot of teams are inquiring, as they should. You know, they have a lot of attractive players. OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, Pascal Siakam, all incredibly attractive. Some of those guys could actually probably, if you acquired them, you might have a real shot at a championship. But I think the problem is that the there's not a great sort of, matchup return like i don't believe that og ananobi like i don't believe anybody's giving three draft picks up for og ananobi i think that that just doesn't feel real i don't think the raptors want to trade siakam i don't think they really want to trade fred either gary trent is the one guy i could see going before the deadline but but you don't have a three-point shooter then yeah after listening to, after listening to doug if i had to guess i'm gonna guess that there's not a big move that's just after listening to doug I, you know, I sort of tend to agree, to tell you the truth. And yet, there's this. You could trade somebody like Ananobi, who's been the focus of attention the last few days. Yep. If you deal him, are you are you negatively impacting your – and say it's for futures. And Doug doesn't think that you want to do that. And, and I tend to agree with him. They're going to be three – if they're three first-round picks, probably going to be late first-round picks. Um. But how much negativity do you have if you deal Ananobi and have to replace him in the starting lineup every night? I think you're telling your fan base that you're 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 basically punting on the year. And I think the problem for them is that, as we've all said on this podcast, they can't get bad enough to really have a good percentage 
for some of these game changing franchise changing guys at the top of the draft. Right. So if the return isn't, I mean, they'll be, they'll, they'll be certainly the Raptors fan base will be fascinated and interested in the trade, but I'm not so sure that the return for the Raptors fan base would be so pleasing. Um, unless it's like some super high lottery pick this year, but I don't well, see it's not going to be doing, right. No teams doing, they don't teams don't trade those picks. So yeah. I I'm with you. I would not I, three, three picks for some good team in like the, the high twenties. That doesn't seem like a great return to me. No, no, I get it. And what, what is Masai looking to do? I think is the, really the question. Like, what does he think he's got? And what does he think he needs? Yeah, good questions. But you remember with the Kawhi deal, again, it was a bunch of guys who came in over a short period of time. It wasn't just Kawhi. We always think Kawhi was added to this the mix, you know, when DeMar was, was sent out. And he was a better fit with everybody else. Well, there's some truth to that. But remember, Siakam was a, wasn't an everyday player. Van Vliet wasn't an everyday player. Uh, and they went out and got a bunch of guy, other guys who who became part of the starting rotation, and essentially it was them that won the championship. And all of them wound up leaving the following year, right? This year, this year, Bob, has been super strange because if you told me they'd win seven in a row, I wouldn't blink. And if you told me they'd lose seven in a row, I wouldn't blink. Just a weird year. Yeah, I have no idea what they've got because there are nights like, they're, like at Sacramento the other night where they look like a championship team. You know, to be to get to take a team who's averaging 120 points a game and hold them to 95, I think it was the lowest they've Sacramento has had the entire year. Yep. To do it and to do it on the road. And just the way they did it too. I was I was stunned. It was it looked like a completely different roster. And they'll play Golden State what tonight? Yep. Anything could happen. Like Agreed. we have I have no level of confidence. I don't know about you. Same. It's it's uh, it's roulette. I don't know. They I could don't know. lose by 30. They could win by 20. You know, who yep. knows? Who knows who these guys are? And I, I, I suspect Masai is of the same opinion. He doesn't know what he's got. It's probably not a championship team, but it, it may not be a bad one. In any event, we got to get out of here. Our thanks to uh, you for uh, taking time for us the last couple of days. We appreciate it. We'll have you back very soon, I hope. Look forward thank, to it. Thank you, Richard. Richard Deitch. Uh, have a nice weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Goodbye, everybody.